this Sunday, for Sunday, we embark on our study on the book of Acts. Um, we have been started, we have started um, two, Friday, two Wednesdays ago through the podcast, um, but some of you may not be following the podcast and therefore you can take each Sunday sermon as a separate um, sermon. Um, however, in the future, um, I'll try to figure something out where we'll have a podcast on one book of the Bible and a Sunday sermon on another. So if you don't follow the podcast, at least you won't feel very lost. But I do encourage you to follow the podcast because we go through reading of uh, the book of Acts, each chapter a day, and also some reflections. Today we want to look at Acts chapter 9. And this is very well-known story of conversion of Saul. Acts chapter 9, we'll read from verse 1 to verse 31. Let us pray. Father, speak your word to us, place it in our hearts. Allow us to see this reality that of you, of your Holy Spirit working in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And to and Saul said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? 
Has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plots became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through the opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them, declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When we were looking at the Gospels and the Gospel of Matthew, for example, everything, every focus was on Jesus, what he taught, what he did, what he, how he healed. But in the book of Acts, we see different personalities. Of course, the two main ones were Peter and Paul. But if you were to look more carefully, there were many others. There was Stephen, the one who was faithful to God and who was stoned. Stephen was a deacon who was placed as one of the helpers to uh, take care of the widows. But before he even started his ministry, he was questioned and then he was stoned. And then there was Philip, Philip who, among the other refugees, went to Samaria and there he continued preaching. And God even led him to the desert where he met with an Ethiopian eunuch and got him to share the gospel. There was Barnabas, Barnabas who was called the son of encouragement, who welcomed, uh, who welcomed Saul, who brought others, uh, helped others to fit into the church. And so there were various persons. And the book of Acts then shows how the Holy Spirit uses different people, empowers different people, comforts different people. And today we want to look at two characters, Saul himself and Ananias. And I'd like to draw from this conversion of Saul uh, three lessons for our lives and from uh, Ananias' uh, response to God, we'll draw one lesson as well. The first lesson then that we draw from uh, Paul was his conversion itself. Most of us see Paul's or Saul's conversion as something that was very spectacular, a one-off event that would never happen again. Probably that's true because all of us have unique experiences. But when you break it down, you discover that it is not as rare as we all thought, that probably most of you, if not all of you, will be able to identify with Saul and the way God called him and, and transformed his life. Let's look at Saul and some elements of what he was like. First, he was self-righteous, and he was arrogant, and he was murderous. But he wasn't murderous thinking that he was a murderer. 
thinking that he was doing something bad. In fact, he thought that he was doing something very good. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 6, he says that I was the perfect Jew. Everything that I did was good and perfect, including zeal. In my zeal, I persecuted the church. What Paul was saying then was that as this Pharisee, he thought that killing Christians was the right thing to do. And he was very assured of himself. He had all the power. He had papers. He had authority from the Jewish authorities to go to Damascus and to go to the other parts of Israel to arrest Christians, bring them for trial, and get them killed. He was arrogant. He thought he was right. Everything was going right for him. Now, does that sound familiar to some of you as well, before you were converted? That you thought that you had everything, that life was just perfect, and that everything that you did was good, even when it wasn't. But then God intervened. And in that intervention, he showed Saul some truths. First, that he was wrong. That as he was persecuting the Christians, thinking that they were of the devil, thinking that they were wrong, Jesus appeared to him as God, as King of Kings, and saying to Saul, Saul, what are you doing to me? Why are you hurting me? Suddenly, Saul realized that all his life's work of chase, of hounding the Christians and going after them and killing them was absolutely wrong. That he thought that those who followed Jesus were following the devil when he finally discovered that this Jesus is God himself. And suddenly he realized how wrong he was. But it wasn't just discovering that he was wrong in his beliefs. He discovered too that he was wrong in his confidence. This was one man who had control over everything. And then he was blinded. He could still open his eyes. That's the funny thing. It wasn't as though he couldn't open his eyes. It says that he could still open his eyes. But he saw nothing the truth dawned on him then that this man who thought he was all-powerful had now become a helpless man. He had to be led by those around him and brought to Damascus. All of a sudden, Saul discovered that he had no power, no independence at all. And then he heard the voice of Jesus too. And he heard the gentle voice of Jesus that rather than come upon him, Vengefully, Jesus was very gentle with him. And finally, Saul discovered that even in his helplessness, God was there for him. God said to him, Rise, in verse 6, Rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Saul had the assurance that God was with him. Now, do all these elements sound rather familiar to many of you? I've talked to some people, some from this church, many from other churches, and it seems as though many of us have had experiences like that before. An arrogance, a thought, that, a belief that we had everything in control, a belief that we were right all the time, only to be shown that we were wrong, a sense of violence, hurting people, and then encountering a crisis that could have very likely have been brought to us by God, discovering our own helplessness 
and needing the assurance that God is with you. Perhaps that was why you became a Christian in the first place. When you discovered that you needed God and you needed an assurance, and then you came to God. I wonder how many of you have had that kind of experience. I'd love to hear from you all, which is, um, and I encourage you then, on the website is my email and my phone number. Feel free to call me for tea, uh, write to me, tell me your life experiences, because swap stories, because I believe that many of you have had such experiences with God. Very similar to that of Saul. Saul had one spectacular experience. You have another spectacular experience. I identify very much with this story. When I became a law student, I was terribly, terribly arrogant. In fact, I thought of myself as being the top lawyer and dreaming of sitting at the top floor of one of those OCBC buildings and all that. And I was a Christian, and I, I grew up as a Christian. Uh, parents were Christians. And I remember one day as a friend was asking me to serve in church, and I said, no, none of these. I'm going to be a lawyer, and that's my first priority. Nothing else matters. And I strutted around thinking that I was one of the smartest students ever. And then my first year exams. When I looked at, I had three papers. Looked at the first one, sat for the first paper. I prayed to God. I said, I trust you and all that. And then I finished the paper feeling extremely good. When I went out, I compared the answers to my friends and realized that I misread one question. I was terribly upset with God and said, God, Pray to you also for what? Also, don't help me be careful. But anyway, I assured myself that with my kind of answers, I'd get a B. And then I went for my second question. Again, I thought I aced it and went out, shared, exchanged notes, and discovered that I misread a question again. This time, I was really upset with God. I swore at him and said, never will I trust you again. Small thing like that also you cannot do for me. What for follow you? And then I had my third paper. And as I sat on it, I realized I couldn't answer a single question. And I said, God, those two prayers that I said earlier on, sorry, I didn't mean it. Help me, Lord, help me. And I thought, well, maybe I could scrape through an E or something, a D or something. And then a week before my results came out, as I was reading the Bible, I read this passage about uh, Jeroboam. You see, son of Solomon, Rehoboam, was a very bad king. And so God called Jeroboam to deliver the people of Israel out of the hands of Rehoboam. Jeroboam did that, but then he disobeyed God and he called the people to sacrifice outside of Jerusalem. And God said to him, I gave you everything I called you to serve me and I gave you the kingdom. But because you have walked away, disobeyed me, I'm taking everything away from you as well. And as I read that, suddenly the Holy Spirit said to me, Mingli, that's you. I called you to be a lawyer to serve me. Instead, you got into your head that you was going to, you're going to be this top lawyer and nothing for me. I'm taking it from you. I was a little scared, but anyway, when the results came out, that really struck fear. Because the two papers that I thought I had B at the worst, I had D. And the paper where I knelt before God and said, God, help me, I had a B. It was obvious that God's hand was on me, but not in a good way. It was like God was holding me and strangling me, and I was under the hands of an angry God. 
For the rest of my second year, I was just terrified. And things just kept going south. I would be helping my classmates with their studies and all that, and they would be getting Bs and As, and I would still be getting Ds. Try as I might, I couldn't pull myself up. And so one day, towards the end of my second year, I went for a church camp, uh, a BCF Varsity Christian Fellowship camp. I was just dragged there. I refused to go, actually, but I was dragged there. And so as a rebellion, act of rebellion, I skipped all the talks. Uh, when everyone was up at talks, I would just sit downstairs and do my own thing. And on the last night, as I was sitting there doing my own thing, I started to muse on how miserable it was to be a Christian. It's no fun to be in the hands of an angry God. Everything that I did was failing. And I was in despair. And I said, God, give me... I, I feel like walking away, but I remember how people of Israel walked the wilderness for 40 years and they still found the promised land. God, if I had to walk 40 years without you, I would still hope to find the promise. After that, the others came down, the other campers came down, and then there was, I saw they gathered into little tables, and I saw this table that everyone was listening very intensely. So I joined that table, and this man was sharing his story. He was an ASEAN scholar, of course, doing very well. He came to Singapore in the U, failed his first year, lost his scholarship, parents didn't want to support him, he had to give tuition to earn his keep, and being a foreigner, he had to pay very high fees. And so he was giving tuition while studying. In his second year, he passed his first year exams. In his third year, he took his year two exams and failed. And so in his fourth year, he had to take his second year, and he passed. But they were only, uh, only allowed five years, and so he was thinking, third year, I need two years to pass one exam. This is my fifth year, what hope do I have? And he said, if he were to look at his life logically, he would have been despair. But somehow, strangely, as he woke up every morning, there was a joy that was welling up his, in his heart, which he could not explain. He was singing when he thought that he shouldn't be singing. He was just filled with confidence and joy. And much of his time was spent trying to earn money so that he could pay his fees. He eventually passed his exams, but he said, don't know what it is, but there's a joy welling inside my heart. At that point, I left the group and I went back to my room. I fell on my knees and I cried to God and I said, God, this is the kind of assurance I want. Never mind about the office at the top of OCBC building. Never mind about all of these things, God. I realize that none of these things matter. All I want is the assurance of the joy that's inside me. And then I fell into sleep or it was a vision or a dream but in that vision I saw a huge storm around me and I felt very calm and safe and as the picture zoomed there I saw myself in God's hands just held in his hands and I felt this sense of safety but that was the beginning of my story a beginning of walk with God but you know each of you would have a story like that. And the story of Saul doesn't just end there because Saul had, God had a purpose for reaching out to Saul. He said to, God said to Ananias in verse 15, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. God had a purpose for Saul. And in God's 
rather humorous way, Saul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Jew of Jews, and God called him to bring the gospel to the Gentiles and to bring the gospel also to the Jews whom he thought would be heresy. God called Paul or Saul to do the things that he initially hated very much. What does it say? It says first that God transformed Saul for a purpose. It was not a wasted effort at all. And it's the same for each of you. Each of you whom God called, whether it came from a, an illness that you turned to God, from a failure in life that you came to God, from failure in your family, in marriage that you came to God, when God took you or got you to turn around, He did it for a purpose. And sometimes the purpose may seem so outrageous, like Saul, to tell Saul, now you will be bringing the gospel to Gentiles of all people, Gentiles whom you despised. And Saul might have said, of all things, you call me to do such things. But God did call him to do even an outrageous thing like that. But each of you wasn't called, just saved and then go and live your life a merry way. That would be so meaningless for you, for me, and to God. But if God did all that to transform you, to bring you to himself, surely there is a purpose. And Each of us then have to come back to God to listen to him and say, God, what have you in mind for me? What are you calling me for? And then allow God to speak to you, to tell you what it is. The second lesson that we can learn from Saul, or the conversion of Saul, was that he would, verse 16 says, God says, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. What a strange thing. I mean, when you're converted, you would think I will have joy all the way. I would have great life all the way. But God said you will Learn what it means to suffer for my name. And in this case, we learn two things at least. You may be able to find a lot more, but I find two th I'd like to highlight two things that Saul learned about suffering. Two reasons he learned about suffering. The first was the wickedness of humankind. Saul had to learn that the one reason why he had to suffer was that humanity is evil, humanity is wicked. Right after his conversion, as he started talking to, talking about Jesus, he was persecuted. He received the same treatment that he gave the others, he gave the Christians initially. Now he was on the receiving end and he began to discover how painful that was. In one of the most humiliating and devastating events. In verse 25, it says that the Jews plotted to kill him. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall. When you think of an opening in the wall, you think about a rat, a mouse, a lizard, a cockroach, something that squeezes through the gate. No longer was he walking, strutting through the gate as he used to be with papers from the officials. He might have laughed at the Christians who were running and hiding in little holes, hiding under the, under the bed, squeezing through the walls. He might have looked contemptuously at them like a cat going after a mouse. 
And now he was on the receiving end. He was running out of the city through a hole in the wall, a helpless, unwanted man. And he discovered how evil the world can be, how evil he was himself. He also suffered, even from his own brethren. After he had converted, he had become a Christian. It says that the other disciples in Jerusalem, in verse 26, that when he came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. Rejection by his former cronies, by the, former, by the Jews, rejection from his new people because they were afraid of him. When we become Christian, we sometimes quickly become disillusioned when we discover how much we have to suffer. But throughout history, the people who walked with God all had to suffer. Starting with Jesus himself, suffering was a very much a part of his life. Jesus was called a man of suffering, well acquainted, very familiar with grief. That was the hallmark of his life on earth. Peter, Peter, when he was restored by Jesus, as he sat at the beach by Jesus, and Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, of course I do, three times. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then he said, you will be led by the hand, showing Peter the manner in which he would die. What a strange calling. Not a calling to great glory, calling to great miracles, calling to do great things, but stating first of all that Peter would suffer greatly for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Paul too paid a price. Each of them paid a price and yet they saw that suffering with Jesus is part of life but also a badge of honour. I don't know how much suffering there might be for each of us if we really stood for the Lord. I remember when I was in my early 20s, I had a good friend who was an accountant. First firm she joined, they, she discovered that they were playing with the books. She reported it to the CEO and the CEO sacked her. Unemployed for a couple of months. And then she found a job that was paying twice as much as the first company. And she was elated it, and said, this must be God's blessing. A month later, they saw that they were playing with the books too. And she approached the CEO again and was asked to resign. And this time, she was without a job for a year. She stood by what she believed was right. Eventually, the Lord led her to be a, Sunday, to be a kindergarten teacher instead. And she found the joy of her life. But God still protected her. And yet, she was prepared to suffer. Sometimes suffering is for honesty. Sometimes suffering is because you care for someone, you stand up for what is right, or you stand up for what is someone whom, who is being bullied or hurt. It may not be the name, the name of Jesus alone, but it is for righteousness' sake. But as we live for God, there will be times when we will be seen as soft, bullyable, stupid. Sometimes it's the ones who are closest to you who feel very frustrated because when you want to 
live as a Christian. You want to be meek. You want to, you want to care for another. You want to be merciful. And then you are said that because of your mercy, you sabo us, whatever. Learning to walk with Jesus brings many perils. But the other thing that, that means by suffer for the sake of my name that Paul would have discovered was that you will suffer just to be like me. You will suffer when you want to become like me because there will be so much of breaking in us to allow us to be like Jesus. Paul said in 2 Corinthians that he was given a thorn in the flesh and Paul, who was a great miracle worker, who was a great healer, who could do anything by prayer, discovered that as he prayed three times for God to remove that thorn in his flesh, God refused to do so. And that was humiliating, that was frustrating. But that taught him that he had nothing and that he could only hold on to God. So Paul suffered frequently that way too. He discovered his own powerlessness that he could discover the power of God. And often in this breaking process, we suffer failure in our lives, we suffer defeat, we suffer humiliation, we discover for ourselves how weak we are, that we may discover how strong God is. That's a very necessary suffering as well. Not suffering in the hands of others, but often being brought down to know that we are not everything and just to, so that we could be broken to be used by God. In fact, broken to be like God. You know, my journey in law career was uh, after that incident, after failing my first, almost failing my first year was a mess after that. I thought that when I became restored to God, all my grades would shoot up. I thought that when I started drawing close to God, reading the Bible and serving God, my grades would go up. Sadly, they did not. I even had a deal with God at my final year and I said to God, God, how glorifying it would be if I had a first class honours. If I graduated top of the class, you would be greatly honoured and glorified. And then when I become a pastor, which I had planned to, wow, everyone would say, top lawyer becoming pastor. And I made a deal with God. I said, God, you give me a first class honours, I will glorify you. But of course, God had different ideas. He gave me a third class honours and said, now go and live. And my was living tough because I graduated at a time when it was impossible to find a job. And I had to do my pupillage for free just so that I could get a certificate to practice. But through a time of brokenness, through a time of humiliation, it was very humiliating because hardly anyone gets a third class for law. I was the rare breed. Going for interviews was humiliating. Going without a job was humiliating. But through it, God taught me that he provides and that I got nothing to stand for myself. And a lot of this brokenness then shapes the way we are, allowing us to know that we are not the powerful, strong, intelligent people that we thought we were, but that we are the helpless people whom God will use, whom God will lead, and whom God will work through. 
Paul would have to learn again and again that he had very little power, but God was powerful. The third thing that we could learn from this is that God taught Saul or Paul himself. In verse 22, it says that Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Remember that Saul was so anti-Jesus, so anti-Christian, that everything in his head was about how wrong the gospel was. And here he had turned around completely and he was teaching that Jesus was the Christ. He explained this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 to 17. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 to 17. He explained this. He said that he was in Damascus for three years and then in, in Mount Sinai in uh, Arabia. And in those three years, he, the apostles did not teach him. The apostles were in Jerusalem. Saul was in Damascus. And Saul never met with the apostles, never learned anything from the apostles. What he did was that he sat in the wilderness. He went to Mount Sinai to pray quietly. And in that quietness, God taught him many lessons. You know, this ability isn't just, wasn't just given to Saul. Jesus says in, in John chapter 14, verse 26, John 14, verse 26, he says that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he will teach you all things and will bring to your memory everything that I've taught. Meaning that the Holy Spirit is your teacher. Meaning that you should not be taking chewed up, digested food from preachers. We can be commentaries. But the Holy Spirit will be your teacher. And that's important. But it's important when you take time, spend time to listen to God. Which is why, actually, as I said earlier, my podcast and even the sermon, I would read the entire passage and not just pick excerpts and then start commenting. There's a reason for that. That I don't want you to just keep taking digested food and just saying, oh, pastor says this, the other preacher says that, and this other preacher says that. But rather that you read the Bible and you know it, and then the Holy Spirit takes that which you have read and brings it into your mind. Thoughts that may be very, very different from what the pastors have said. But the Holy Spirit will be your teacher. Saul spent three years praying and listening to God. And God taught him himself. We must stop our business, constant business and running around. We can, can remain busy, of course. We have lots of work with lots of responsibilities, that's true. But whenever we can carve out time, this morning the Mandarin speaker was saying, well, when you're watching TV, put, put Bible verses there so during the commercials, pick it up and read. If you're doing, going to the toilet, God doesn't leave the toilet either. Sit in the toilet and read the Bible, whatever. Sit in the bus and read the Bible. Find time, create time. Because that's when God teaches you and God speaks to you. It's not just the Bible, but giving God time. And that brings me to this lesson by Ananias, which is very similar to the third thing, third lesson about Saul. Ananias was a good friend of God. Listen to how familiar and yet how intimate that conversation between Ananias and God was. 
The Lord said to Ananias in a vision in verse 10, Ananias, and Ananias said, Here I am, Lord. And then the Lord told him to go and look for this man called Saul. And Ananias replied, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Basically, Ananias was talking to God. You know, in some circles, we, people still think that this relationship with God is just a romantic idea. It's not true. Intimacy with God is a reality. It was a reality in the in life of Ananias. God called Ananias and Ananias said, Yeah, God. Obviously, God, it wasn't the first time God appeared to Ananias. Otherwise, if it was, Ananias would have been terrified. But Ananias was so familiar with God. He said, Yep, God, I'm here. And when God told him to do something, Ananias told him, hey, look, you're sending me to a lion's den. It's almost like telling, sending me a lion's den and saying, the lion has just been defanged and declawed. Now go and sit with the lion and feed him. Because Saul was in Damascus to arrest Christians. And here, a Christian is called to talk to Saul. Trap? Who knows? And Saul responded to God, to the Holy Spirit, and said, Lord, God, this is what's happening and God said to, to Ananias, go anyway, because I have plans for him. There is an intimacy, there is a conversation between Ananias and God. And this can take place in our lives every day. God talking to you, you talking back to God. And then finally Ananias says, sure, if, if you say so, I'm going story of Ananias, the lesson that we learn is intimacy with God. The third point in Saul's conversion is also intimacy with God. The need to take time off listening, talking, reading to God, developing a friendship with God. Let me assure you that it is a very real thing. One of the things that I love doing is walking, long, long walks and Talking, we, we talk to our friends, we talk to our children that way too, and talk to our spouses that way too, and we talk to God the same way, taking time to just musing with God. And it's at these times that God speaks very clearly to us, sometimes through visions, sometimes through thoughts, sometimes through bringing out the Word of God, the Bible, and then reminding us of truths. But that's very necessary, and I pray that for each of us, this may become a habit of listening to God, talking with God, walking with God. So just to summarize then, first thing is that each of your experiences in conversion is unique and none of it any less than Saul's conversion. And that's just as much as God had a commission to Saul after he had transformed him, had converted him, God has a commission for each of us as well. Something that we'll, we do not take as, with fear, we do not take as a compulsion, we take with joy because God actually has his eyes on you and he wants you to be a valuable instrument of his. That's what makes life meaningful. God has a purpose for each of you. But secondly, there, must be, there will be suffering. There will be suffering and opposition from others. There will also be suffering as we discover our own helplessness and our need for God. And third then, 
God comes to us as a friend and He continues to call us and talk to us as friends. Let us pray. Father, you call each of us, each of us out of our helplessness and yet our delusion that we have everything. You called us out of our sin. You called us out of our problems. And you gave us the assurance that you are our God, our shepherd, our protector, our friend. Father, I pray for those who may have grown cold, that you remind them, Lord, of how powerful the conversion was, how you reached out to them in their death. And there was a purpose for that, that you loved them. You want to give them a meaningful job. I pray for those who are disillusioned, those who are fearful of suffering, that they may know that even in their suffering, they grow in glory. That suffering makes us beautiful. Suffering helps us to be like you. Help us then, Lord, to take, to accept the suffering that you send to us because it teaches us, it helps, makes us steadfast and it makes us like you. God, come and minister to us and most of all, let us indeed be friends of yours. Not just on locusts, not just worshippers. But Lord, allow us to know that the one thing that you treasure is friendship with us. That we can be your friends. Come Lord and minister to each one. Not just now, but throughout the day, throughout the week. As you speak your truths to us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.